Come and listen. It's a challenge for us here. It's not like our, our building is conducive to come and listen. It's interesting to have a dynamic where we worship in a multi-use facility. It's interesting dynamic that there's no real place for us to gather. And as you come, oftentimes bringing the church with you, it's hard to get in here and listen. But let me really encourage you. Prepare your heart as you come. As you enter these doors, prepare your heart to hear. Prepare your heart to worship. It's an extra uh, difficult thing for us to do as we plan our worships, to think, how are we going to start? Because oftentimes we know that the first song is a bit of a throwaway. Because you won't listen. It's hard sometimes to come in, you want to catch up with who you're seeing, and uh, uh, there's oftentimes where we want to be able to start something immediately with kind of a, a, a mood setter of what we're trying to go to. So me, just... It's challenging. I know it's hard because uh, we have no place to kind of gather. This is kind of it. It's beautiful, and we love seeing y'all interact, especially uh, on Sundays like this. We're going we're gonna to look at God's Word. This morning, here's the challenge. I'm going to talk about Solomon this morning. Is that, uh, here's a man's life. And so on this cold morning, you may want to start doing this because we're going to uh, look at a lot of verses. And uh, let me just encourage you to get your, your fingers ready, your mind sharp. Come and listen. I mean, the story's amazing because the story's going to lead us to Jesus. And any story that leads us to Jesus is really worth listening to. Because if we come and we listen to a story that leads us to Jesus, there's such good news. We're going to find life and life abundantly, and our lives are going to be changed. We're going to be reminded about a God who loves us. We're going to be reminded about a a son who rescues us. We're going to be reminded of a Holy Spirit that fills us. It's worth listening to because it really will give us life. If you have uh, your Bibles, uh, uh, if you forgot them this week, bring them next week. We're going to be here uh, in the Bible uh, every Sunday. We're going to challenge you to come and listen. We're going to start off in 1 Kings. It's a historical book you'll find in the Old Testament. And if you need to look in the tabs uh, or in the beginning to see where it is, it's no problem. Uh, we're thrilled you're here. For some of you, it's old hat. But we're going to start in 1 Kings chapter 4. Put on your seatbelts, Orangewood. Here we go. This is going to be one of those weeks. And like I said last week, please, please lean in. Uh, get yourself in a posture to come and listen. Uh, I, I'm very aware that when someone reads to you and when we read together, sometimes you can get lost. So would you please lean in? God has uh, incredible words for us today. Let me ask you how, do you, how do you measure smarts? How do you measure intellect or wisdom? It's a time in our lives where we're wrestling with these thoughts because our oldest is preparing applications for college trying to p- compete for scholarship dollars, uh, trying to see where she ranks and how others rank her uh, and her f- qualifications for school. But wouldn't you agree with me that we have a lot of standardized testing for our students? Uh, um, we have them in our public school, and our private school. We have things like SATs and ACTs. We have things like college or, or class ranks. All these are just supposed to tell uh, prospective colleges and even prospective employers how smart this person is. But we have realized if you've lived long enough, you're probably like me, and I, I know that uh, you probably came to the same conclusion, that oftentimes the smartest folks are not always the wisest folks. Book smart does not always equate to street smarts. 
And there's those who may do really, really well with certain standardized tests. And there's some that might be really, really intelligent, but somehow it doesn't come across that way on certain tests. Again, it's hard to find a litmus test that really does evaluate clearly how smart, intelligent, but also how wise. We might have some in our midst that are able to uh, solve great mathematical equations, but may struggle on a job interview. Some who uh, may be able to do uh, things like help launch rockets, but are not as good in other areas. Well, in the Bible, in the Bible, of all the characters of the Bible, and, and there are some incredible ones, of all the characters that God tells us, true men and women that have lived like us on this earth, of all of those characters, King Solomon is the smartest biblical character of them all, except for God himself. King Solomon was brilliant. And the beauty of King Solomon's brilliance is this. It's not just in one area. It wasn't like he just knew God's word really well. We're going to see that King Solomon, he was one of these guys that can just pick up on any conversation and add to it. He was someone who had knowledge on all things. And really, as a Christian, let me encourage you, especially young people, this is where God is challenging us to know all things to have all things brought into uh, submission under Christ. But it's important for us. Christians should pursue education as much as we can in all areas and give God the glory for what he has done. But he could speak intelligently on all issues and people would travel far and wide to hear him. He's kind of like, for me, uh, a modern-day Tim Keller. Um, Tim Keller is a PCA pastor like me. Uh, That's where the similarities kind of stop. Uh, He's in New York City. Um, You know, I just met him recently. He's taller than I am. You know, it's kind of go meet somebody that's like a hero. I mean, Tim Keller is a a pastor of Redeemer Presbyterian Church in New York City. He's the preacher that all preachers listen to. I mean, he's got wisdom. I mean, he's got insight. As a matter of fact, we've had PCA guys fired preaching his sermons. Um, but Tim Keller, I was, I was going to go out and meet him. I had this great opportunity, spent two and a half hours, like one of my heroes and I, and I meet him and, and he's six, four, I'm six, three, like Tim, can we sit down? I don't want to stand long, but I am younger. All right. Well, this is Solomon's week and we're going to focus on him and, and we're going to realize that no matter how much smarts you have and no matter how much gray matter God may have given you, it doesn't guarantee that you'll act wisely. He acted foolishly. As we read the story, and it's a typical story, it's so beautiful. When we read the story of the heroes of the Bible, they leave us wanting more. You know, we read about David and you think, this is it, this is a man after God's own heart. Then you realize he's a murderer, he's an adulterer. Isn't there someone better? And you read a Solomon like we're going to do here this morning, and you realize, wow, he's incredibly brilliant. And yet you realize that in his brilliance, he didn't live very wisely. He too failed. You see, King David, he had the heart, and it wasn't enough. King Solomon, he has the mind, and that too isn't enough. All right, let's look at 1 Kings 4, verses 29 through 34. Then we're going to skip to uh, 10, verses 23 through 35. Let's be mindful we're reading God's inerrant word. It says this about Solomon. 1 Kings 4, verse 29. 
God gave wisdom and very great insight and a breadth of understanding as measureless as the sand on the seashore to Solomon. Solomon's wisdom was greater than the wisdom of all the people of the east and greater than all of the wisdom of Egypt. He was wiser than anyone else, including Ethan the Ezraite. Man, you know, Ethan made the list. He's feeling good. <laughs> wiser than Heman, Kalkal, and Darda, the sons of Mahol. How about those sons? Huh? How about that dad? Look at my three boys. And his fame spread to all the surrounding nations. He spoke 3,000 proverbs, and his songs numbered 1,005. He spoke about plant life from the cedar of Lebanon to the hyssop that grows out of, the, out of walls. He spoke about animals and birds, reptiles and fish. From all nations, people came to listen to Solomon's wisdom sent by all the kings of the world who had heard of his wisdom. Turn with me to chapter 10, or it should be on the screen, verses 23 through 25. King Solomon was greater in riches and wisdom than all other kings of the earth. The whole world sought audience with Solomon to hear the wisdom God had put in his heart. Year after year, everyone came, brought a gift, articles of silver and gold, robes, weapons and spices, and horses and mules. Let us pray together. Father, we thank you that all knowledge, all knowledge finds its source in you. That you truly are the immortal, invisible, God only wise, the wonderful counselor, unlike any other. And Jesus, we thank you that your word is living and active, and would you please speak to us, your children. God, would you give us ears to hear the wisdom of God? Would you give us eyes to see how the wisest man in the world that would have audience, audiences come to seek his attention needed Jesus? God, would you give us minds to understand what you would have for us? Oh, Father God, we pray your spirit would come with such power, so vividly, that God, this wouldn't be a distant story of some king that lived a really long time ago. But this would be a message that you have for us today to change our lives. And Father, I know what you've done in my own heart preparing me. And I'm really, again, begging for your mercy, asking you to forgive the sins of this sinner. And God, I do not have the ability to speak in a way that brings the beauty and the depth to this passage. But Father, your Spirit speaking through me will do the job. So come and speak. Give us ears so that we can come and listen. And Father, in the end, would you receive glory and with our lives look more like Jesus. And we pray all this in Christ's powerful name. Amen. It's often said in life, and it's very true, it doesn't matter how you start. You always want to get off to a good start. You know, you may want to send your kids off to school and tell them, hey, it's important, this is the first day, this is how you're setting the tone. Uh, maybe going to that first day on a new job, you're going to say, it's important. You want to make sure you make a good impression. 
that first practice you go to. So starting off is important, but it is true. It doesn't matter necessarily how you start in life. It's how you finish. You know, we know that uh, the Iowa caucus is long behind us, and we can see those who, who won in Iowa doesn't guarantee that they're going to win the White House. Oftentimes we see that starting doesn't always guarantee where we're finished. When it comes to Solomon, you couldn't have had a better start. You're born in royalty. You're born to a great dad. You look up to this warrior king who was able to do a lot of incredible things. Uh, this king, this father of yours, is going to shape uh, the events around your life to hand you the kingdom. You are going to be given wisdom beyond anybody else who ever has or ever uh, will walk the face of the earth except for Jesus. I mean, this is an incredible man given a silver spoon of all silver spoons. He starts off so good. And we begin to see the beginning of his ministry. It's great. I mean, the first thing out of the box he does, he does some really smart, wise things. He's asking for the right things from God. He's doing the right things. But we're going to see a man who stumbles. We're going to see a man that unbelievably is as smart as Solomon. He doesn't practice what he preaches. And when we know that when someone doesn't practice what they preach, it's usually a sure sign of stupidity. And how humbling that is for preachers. Are we practicing what we preach? We're really doing what God has called us to tell others to do. And we see by the time Solomon's life is over that his kingdom is teetering. And really, by the time he dies, it doesn't take much time at all before it crumbles. But let's begin with a positive. This is the wisest of kings in Israel. And let's look at the wisdom of this wisest king. And it starts off with the wisest of foundations. Proverbs. Proverbs 1.7 says this to us. Proverbs 1, 7, Solomon will write, The fear of the Lord, or the knowledge and awe of the Lord, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of all knowledge. But fools despise wisdom and instruction. Here's, here's Solomon. Solomon can speak on any subject. Here's Solomon. He knows. He's book smart. You want to talk about plants? He's got you. You want to talk about animals and fish? He's got you. Anything you want to talk about, he's able to really converse with. But what he's able to do, and the wisdom of this foundation, he says this. It all begins with God. It all begins with God. I mean, knowledge starts and finds its point and end in God. The beginning of all knowledge. And this, this isn't a beginning where you say, okay, I'm going to invite Christ in my life. I'm going to get God in my life. And then I'm going to move from there. And I'm going to really get wise. It's a starting point. No, this is a foundation. This is not just starting point. This is foundational for everything to build your life upon. The beginning of all Knowledge begins with the knowledge of God, acknowledging that there's a God who is. Acknowledging that this God created all things for His glory. It's acknowledging our need for this God. And by God's grace, giving us a relationship with Jesus Christ, we now are able to put on the glasses that we can see all of life that makes understanding. If God is God, and we are rescued through His Son, Jesus The beginning of all knowledge. Listen, if we miss this, this is a starting point. If you miss this, there's a vacuum in your life that can never be filled. You may be able to impress many, many people and do a lot of things and earn lots and lots of money with worldly knowledge. But you got to know, this is so foundational and so important. And Solomon knew it. It all begins with knowledge of God. Life doesn't make sense without him. He made us for him. And if we miss this component... We miss the starting blocks. Uh, Our life will be a vapor. It just won't matter. 
And so Solomon had the wisdom to know that the wisest of foundations, the starting point, and that which you build your entire life upon is knowledge of God. And God is going to reveal himself to us in his word. And we build our life upon that. And then we see in, in, in Solomon the wisest of requests. I mean, here's this great king. 1 Kings chapter 3. If you go to 1 Kings 3, and it should be on the screen, verses 5 through 14. The Lord appears to Solomon and, and, uh, and give, at Gibeon. Let me, let me just read it. Uh, 1 Kings 3, verse 5. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon during the night in a dream. And God, asked, and God said, what well, we all pray to God that God will say to us, ask for whatever you want me to give you. Not a bad little deal there, is it? I mean, God showing up and, and, and uh, um, saying basically to Solomon, okay, I'm God Almighty. Ask. Solomon answered, how would you? Right now. God comes into your life. Right now. Says, okay, ask. Solomon's wisdom was this. Solomon answered, You have shown great kindness to your servant, my father David, because he was faithful to you and righteous and upright in heart. You have continued this great kindness to him and have given him a son to sit on his throne this very day. Now, Lord my God, you have made me, uh, made your servant king in place of my father David, but I am only a little child and do not know how to carry out my duties. Your servant is here among the people you have chosen, a great people, too numerous to count or number. Again, his role is a lot different than mine, but oh, how I understand that. What privilege God has given me to lead this flock. And there's days I think, Lord, what were you doing? And there's too, too many, they're too numerous, they're, 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 too, they're too needy like me. And he realized what God was doing. And so he said in verse 9, So give your servant, listen to the beauty of this, look at the wisdom of this. So give your servant a discerning heart to govern your people, to distinguish between right and wrong. For who is able to govern the great people of yours? Who is able to lead your church? The Lord was pleased that Solomon had asked for this. So God said to him, since you have asked for this and not for long life or wealth for yourself, was that on your list? Nor have you asked for the death of your enemies, but for discernment and administering justice. I will do what you have asked. I will give you a wise and discerning heart so that there will never be anyone like you, nor will there ever be. Moreover, I will give you what you have not asked for, both wealth and honor, so that in your lifetime you will have no equal among kings. And listen to this. And if, and if you walk in obedience to me and keep my decrees and commands as David your father did, I will give you a long life. Then Solomon awoke and he realized it had been a dream. I got to tell you, true confessions. Uh, there's times where I've tried to use this prayer in my own favor. Because what I really want is, is the other stuff. And so I'll say, hey, God, just give me wisdom to rule your people. Uh, give me a heart, a discerning. Because I want the other stuff too. You know, I'm trying to play a little shell game. 
saying, God, would you, would you give me this because I really want it all? We see in here a sincerity of Solomon. I mean, he was really asking, God, you put me on a throne for your people. I mean, you got me in an incredible place. Give me a discerning heart. Give me a mind that knows right from wrong. Let me lead these people in a way that really honors you. So look at the wisdom. Look at the wisdom of Solomon saying this is all a foundation. We start with the knowledge of God. Look at the wisdom of what he is asking of this request. Well, he truly is the wisest of wise. As we read in 1 Kings 4 and 10, as we began this morning, what we realize is there was no one like him. This he was truly the wisest of wise. And then he gives us what I am calling the wisest of warnings. We can't miss this. Write this down. We're going to come back to it. This is the wisest of warnings that we get from the wisest of kings. And it's found in Proverbs 4. Proverbs 4, verse 23. Proverbs 4, 23 says this. Of the smartest man who ever lived, the one who knew all these Proverbs, and he's going to say this. Above all else. Red lights, siren, focus, above all else. I mean, all our stuff is important. There's things in our life we can't miss. But above all else, above all else, guard your heart. For everything you do flows from it. Guard your heart. The wise of the wise will say this. There's a lot of important things in your life, but all of life is going to flow from your heart. And if it's an unguarded heart, watch out. It'll be attacked. It'll be changed. Uh, you'll be doing unwise things. So above all heart, all else, because all of who we are, all of what we do is going to flow from that, from, from that being guarded. How do you guard your heart? You guard your eyes. How do you guard your heart? You guard your hands. How do you guard your heart? You hide yourself in God's word. Above all else, above all else. Because listen, your heart's like mine, sinner. It's prone to wander. Your heart's like mine. It wants to be on the throne. Your heart's like mine. It's wicked and full of deceit. Your heart's like mine. And because of that, we got to continually ask God his protection. My brothers and sisters at Orangewood, we need to guard our hearts. And then you have the wisest of insights. It's found in Ecclesiastes 3.11. A book that Solomon wrote. Great book. Um, I'm going to talk more about it tonight if you want to come back. Um, he says in Ecclesiastes 3.11, God, He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also... Listen, 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 listen. You've got to lean into this. You've got to lean into this. You can't miss this one. He has also set eternity into the human heart. He has also set eternity into the human heart. Think about that. What does that mean? That is a phenomenal passage. God has set eternity into our heart. He's created us in His image. He's created us to know and to love Him. And all of wisdom begins with a relationship with Him. But basically, do you want to know why you just can't get enough? Do you want, to want, you want to know why that even at the end of your best day, when life is at its zenith, you want more? Do you want to know why that even when everything is ducky, it just doesn't seem to be ducky enough? Because eternity is set in our heart. Because we have been created to long and desire more. And listen, here's, here's the point. Only the eternal 
can fill the eternity in our heart. The temporal, all the treasures of this world, all the fame, the fortune, the the women, the, the music, the song, all that the world has to offer won't fit in a heart that has eternity in it. Does it make sense? There's always going to be a void. This is what Augustine says in his confessions. When Augustine says, our hearts will forever wander until it rests in you. Do you hear that? Augustine, way back in the 300s, by the, by the wisdom of God, was able to say, I understand this eternity in man's heart. Our hearts are going to wander. They're, no, they're going to be restless. Do you have a restless heart? Does it wander? Because eternity's in there. And the only way it's going to be filled is with Jesus. It's the only way it's going to be filled. The eternal has to fill your heart. The world can't do it. What wisdom. I think it's C.S. Lewis. I couldn't find it. But it's a quote I love to quote. And I give it credit to C.S. Lewis. And if he were here, he'd thank me. It's this. Think about this. God has never made a soul so small that the world could fit in it. God has never made a soul so small that the whole world could fit in it. Why? Because he set eternity in our hearts. You got a wandering heart? On your best day, do you hurt and long for more? Only Jesus can fill it. And even when he fills it now, let me tell you, family, we haven't arrived yet. There's more to come. There's still tears. There's still heartache. There's still brokenness. We're just not home yet. He hasn't come back for us. And we know that that the eternal's there. And he's filling the void. And one day it'll be completely full. But he was a man of sorrows. As we follow the man of sorrows, this eternal heart is going to find sorrow too. The wisest of the wise. How could he go wrong? And yet we see the foolishness of the wisest king. You know, the foolishness of of Solomon is that he did not practice what he preached. We began this series in January looking at which king would you choose. And we began by looking at Deuteronomy 17. We're not going to go back there today. But let me call your attention to Deuteronomy 17, verses 14 through 20. Because it's in this passage that we saw that God gave a description of how kings should act. Remember we read together this morning, I know it's a long time ago, it basically was David passing on to his son, and he was saying to his son, now listen Solomon, you got to listen to the Lord, you got to do what he says, and this is really important to you Solomon. And when you look at the, the, uh, what the writer tells us in Deuteronomy 17, that every king had to write out the law. Every day had to review the law. And what David was saying to his son, Solomon, never leave this word. Don't do it. Don't leave the word of God. It's going it's to it's anchor you, Solomon. What does he do? He's a fool. Okay, let's turn to uh, 1 Kings 10. You with me? Oh no, there was silence. You with me? You know, I was, at, I was at Macedonia Baptist Church in Eatonville this week when they said, you with me? Congregation, you with me? Oh, man. Thank you. First Kings 10, 
I'm going to pick up verse 26. And again, do me a favor. Can we lean in a little bit? Because this is going to be some reading, and uh, we need to hear it. Because here's what's going to happen. All the things that God told Solomon not to do, or told the kings not to do, right here, it doesn't tell us. It's not pointing us back, like, specifically to Deuteronomy 17, so we might miss it. But as you read this, we're going to realize, ah, he's missing it. He's missing it. He's not listening. Solomon, in verse 26 in chapter 10, Solomon accumulated chariots and horses. And what did God tell him, by the way? Don't accumulate too many of them, right? He had 1,400 chariots and 12,000 horses, which he kept in chariot cities and also with him in Jerusalem. The king made silver as common in Jerusalem as stones and cedar as plentiful as sycamore, uh, sycamore trees in the foothills. Solomon's horses were imported from where? Egypt. What did he tell us not to do in Deuteronomy 17? Don't get too many horses and definitely don't get them from where? Egypt. Don't go back there. And from Q. The royal merchants purchased them from Q at the current price. They imported a chariot from where? Egypt. From 600 shekels of silver and a horse for 150. They also exported them to all the kings of the Hittites and the Armenians. Here's what what he's doing. He's not listening. There's more. It gets worse. King Solomon, however, loved many foreign women. Besides Pharaoh's daughter. By the way, where's she from? Egypt. A Moabite, Ammonites, Edomites, uh, um, Hittites, uh, the Sidonians. They were from nations about which the Lord had told the Israelites, you must not intermarry with them because they will surely turn your hearts after their God. Nevertheless, the smartest man who ever lived, the one that we would say the wisest, Solomon held fast to them in love. He had 700 wives of royal birth and 300 concubines. And 7 plus 3 equals 10. That's 1,000. And his wife led him astray. As Solomon grew old, his wife turned his heart after other gods, and his heart was not fully devoted to the Lord his God, and the heart of David his father had been. He followed Asherah, the goddess of the Sidians, and Moloch, the detestable god of the Ammonites. So Solomon did evil in the eyes of the Lord. He did not follow the Lord completely as David, his father, had done. Most of us will read this and say, I'm okay. There's no chance in the world I'm marrying 700. There's no chance in the world there's going to be a total of 1,000. And the story can seem distant to us. But you know what the internet does? It allows us in the span of a very short time to probably look at about a thousand women as if they were our wives. Probably be able to go to places in, in fantasy that Solomon never dreamed of. And it may seem really far and distant that some man could have a thousand wives, but I know your heart, men, and it's not that far and distant, is it? And that struggle and that battle for purity is alive and well with us, is it not? And again, we can read the story and say, I'm clean, it's okay, I got one wife, maybe I had two or three, uh, some broken relationships, but I, listen, let's put ourselves in Solomon's shoes for a minute. He's like us. He had a problem with lust. He had a problem. It turned his heart from God. 
And maybe ours isn't as exposed. And maybe ours is in the darkness of our studies or uh, somewhere uh, on our computers. We've got to realize our hearts are prone to wander. Verse 7, on a hill east of Jerusalem, Solomon built a high place uh, for Chemish, the detestable god of Moab. I think I, I, I've read that. Basically, he's, he's going to sacrifice to foreign gods. Verse 9, the Lord becomes angry with Solomon because his heart was turned away from the Lord, the God of Israel, who appeared to him twice. And although he had forbidden Solomon to follow other gods, Solomon did not keep the Lord's command. He knew better. I mean, he knew better. He didn't guard his heart. Of all the things you guard, you guard your heart. And he's going to just go and just go in the opposite direction. So the Lord says, You've not kept my commandment, my decrees, which I've commanded you. I'll most certainly tear the kingdom away from you and give it to one of your subordinates. Nevertheless, for the sake of David, your father, I'll not do it during your lifetime, but I'll tear it out of the hand of your son. I bet you that was even more painful. Your son, he's going to feel the effects of this. The foolishness of not guarding your heart. Again, it's, it's Ecclesiastes 2. It's, it's Solomon who had it all, and what does he decide to do? He becomes a hedonist. He pursues pleasure at all costs. He doesn't pursue God at all costs. He pursues pleasure, and he holds nothing back from himself. Look at what Ecclesiastes 2, 10 and 11 say. And by the way, it starts off in verse 4. He starts off, I, I took up great projects. I built houses. I did all this stuff. I amassed silver, gold. I acquired servants. I did whatever my heart's delight was. In verse 10, I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my labor, and this was the reward for my toil. Yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless. The chasing after the wind, nothing was gained under the sun. What a fool. He knew that God had set eternity in his heart and yet he tried to fill it with all the world had to offer. And if Solomon, there was no one who was more successful as a hedonist. No one. He was the best. I mean, it was unbelievable what he was able to accumulate. Unbelievable what he was able to seek and pursue for his own pleasure, wine, women, song, intelligence, all of it. He pursued it, and it left him saying, vanity, vanity, it is all nothing but chasing after the wind. What a fool, he didn't guard his heart. James 1.22 says that we are not just to be hearers of the word, but we are to be doers of the word. And then Jesus gives us the story in Matthew, the story of a wise and foolish builder. And this is the last story that we're going to hear. And it talks about a wise and foolish builder that both were building their lives. And it's got an interesting similarity and some interesting parallels between what Jesus would call someone who is wise and someone who is foolish. And some of the similarities are these. And by the way, every time I, I officiate a wedding, I will always go to this passage. It talks about both of them, the wise and foolish builders building their life, both heard God's word. It makes it very, very clear, both were hearers of God's word. And the similarity uh, it continues. Both had some issues. We'll come back to that. 
But where they start to split off is this. The fool was one who heard God's word, ignored it, thought that his way was better, and he did his own deal. He heard it, but he didn't obey it. And the wise one, the wise builder, the one that Jesus esteems that we should follow, was the one that heard God's word and obeyed. He said, God, you know the best for me. You know the best for my heart. It's prone to wander. Your decrees, you love me enough to give me a way that is right that I should follow and follow hard after you. I want to listen to your word. I want to apply your word. I want it to massage my heart so it looks more like Jesus. I want to do all things for Christ the King. The wise builder listens to Jesus and applies it. You know what I also love about that passage? There's more similarities. Do you know what happened to both the wise and the fool? The winds came. The rains fell. The floods rose. And everything that they owned were threatened. (laughs) My brothers and sisters in Christ, as, as we follow Jesus, the rains will come. The wind will blow. The floods will threaten everything we own. Our health, our kids jobs but on Christ the solid rock we stand and no matter what happens and no matter what comes our way we can stand on Christ building our lives upon him whatever this world can offer we can stand that's the promise to the wise that's the promise to the follower of Christ. Let me ask a couple of questions as we close. Are you living a wise life? Are you living a wise life in God's eyes? To me, I want to give you a real easy definition of wisdom. This is mine. So if you don't like it, don't tell me. If you like it, you can use it. I've said this way too much. It's not that good. All right, and it's good, but... Wisdom is knowing what to do and doing it. Wisdom is knowing what to do and doing it. Is that where you are? Are you living a wise life? Are you digging into God's Word saying, God, teach me how to live? And then living according to that. Are you building your life upon Christ the solid rock? I mean, all of your life, everything. Remember that Proverbs 1.7? The beginning of all knowledge, that foundation, everything we should be doing is should be built upon Christ, the solid rock, because I can promise you, the winds and rains, if they're not in your life now, they're coming. They're coming. And unless we stand on Christ, it'll be washed away. Are you living a wise life? And secondly, are you guarding your heart. Two things that Solomon got tripped up on pretty big. The first one was materialism. He consumed and consumed and consumed. And I, and I, and I, I know this of myself. I know, I want to tell you that I'm a recovering materialist. But the truth is I'm falling off the wagon all the time. I'm a, I love consuming. I love it. That's why I love Costco. I can buy everything there. <laughs> Just as we, Casey, I can't send you there alone. You come back with something. 
They're all calling my name. Every aisle. I want to go see it. I like it. I need it. I really do. I mean, I want to buy like the little security light that they have on that one end cap. I don't know where to put it, but I like it. It's a great price, $26. I bought some really cool cargo pants there, and I was told they look good on me. I went back to look to see if they had other colors. They look good on me. I want them all. And thanks for laughing, but it's really sad. And you know what kills me is, is, is the day after Christmas we want to go shopping. Is there not one? <laughs> What's up with that? We just had Christmas. You see, when material creeps in, it becomes our identity and our security and our stuff. And, and I, I think for, for us, this is, this, is, this is, listen, let's be honest. Look at us, okay? Look at us. No one here is going to leave here wondering where they're going to find their next meal. You're going to have something to eat. Our issue is this, have we accumulated enough? And I really believe that you need to join me in repenting. And we just got to call this what it is. That we're making this our God. This is an idol in our life. And we just got to stop. We just got to say, God, I, I, I just, I'm, I'm, I'm acquiring a lot of stuff I don't need. The second thing is, is a guard your heart from lust. You know, we are so prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. I love what Job 31.1 says. I've made a covenant with my eyes not to look lustfully upon a girl. Solomon had a raging lust problem. And so do most of us. And really, if it's guarding our, our eyes, and if it's guarding our hearts, there, 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 we should take some measures here. I mean, Scripture says, if your eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out. Listen, if, if, if pornography is an issue for you, and statistics say for most of us men it is, I mean, there may be like some... High net internet stuff that just needs to be taken out of some rooms. I mean, maybe, maybe we just can't handle it. Maybe some TVs need to go. Uh, maybe we just got to get ourselves out of some relationships that just are feeding some things that aren't good. You know, I, I, I let Katie, this is embarrassing, but I got to tell you, Katie programs the remote control. We set it uh, to block out certain stuff, and I said, I don't want to know the code because I'm prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. And guard your hearts. Guard your eyes. And again, we, we can, men, especially us men, we, we can hide this stuff. John Piper, the great Baptist, Reformed Baptist preacher in Minneapolis, talks about Christians. And he says, you know what we should be? Christian hedonist. It's a really interesting term. Christian hedonist. Giving our hearts to God. And listen, finding our pleasure in Him. And I, I love, he, he takes the first question of the catechism, Westminster Sort of Catechisms, that says, what is man's chief end? And uh, the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Um, he says, listen, the chief end of man, or, or uh, chief end of humans, uh, our purpose, men and women, is to glorify God while 
enjoying Him forever. Listen, God has made you for Himself. You want to be happy? God is the answer. You want joy? Jesus is the answer. You want to pursue life and life abundantly? Jesus is the one to pursue. Happiness and Jesus are not mutually exclusive. That is where true happiness, joy in life is found. And I think that Piper is right. And Solomon found out for himself, everything else, my brothers and sisters and visitors, everything else is vanity, vanity, a chasing after the wind. But Solomon comes full circle. At the end of Ecclesiastes 12, he he says this. Ecclesiastes 12. He comes full circle. He's experienced all he can experience. And look look what Solomon does. He ends where he starts. And he says, now, I'm in chapter 12, verse 13. Now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God. Know and love Him. Fear God and keep His commandments. For this is the duty of every human being. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. Our prayer should be, my brothers and sisters, Create in us a clean heart. Forgive us. We should have a posture of repentance, continual repentance, and sing together, Be Thou Our Vision. Tune our hearts to sing, Be Thou Our Wisdom. Teach us how to live. Let us pray. Father, that is our prayer. Our prayer, Father, is that we would be not just hearers of the Word, but we would be doers of the Word. And Father, I know that your Spirit has spoken to many this morning because we tackled some tough issues. We thank you that we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. Father, I pray that your Spirit would lead us to godly repentance. That many of us, even now, would acknowledge that we haven't lived wisely before you that we just haven't guarded our hearts, that we've let the eye, the lamp of our body to to bring into our whole being filth and trying to use that to replace you. Father, thank you for a king that's so much greater than Solomon, a king named Jesus, who truly is the wonderful counselor who not only comes to tell us how to live, but rescues us with his precious blood so we can live. That's the king. And that's the one that we want to live for. So Spirit, come and and speak into our hearts and shape our lives. Would you please be our vision? We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Please stand.